It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1012 of Locked on Raptors for uh, God, Wednesday, it's September. My God, September the 1st. It's Wednesday, September the 1st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. Uh, of course, you can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find me writing at RaptorsHQ.com. And you can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all that good stuff. And of course, on YouTube, huge thank you. We got like 50 new subs yesterday on the YouTube page, which is amazing. And we're pushing towards 500. So please continue to smash that subscribe button. It's very much appreciated. Of course, the podcast is available and free on all platforms. Free. Big, fat, free. The low, low price of on the house. So please go and uh, support the show on whatever platform it is that you'd like to support. And also tell a friend. That is still the best way to tell people about podcasts and get people listening to podcasts is to tell them, maybe bully them a little bit slightly in a nice kind of friendly way. Uh, Either way, on today's show, it is a mailbag episode, which is very exciting. Got lots of great questions in from the listeners. Before we get into some of these questions, though, which include questions about Scotty Barnes and how many games he might start this season, who's going to start in place of Pascal Siakam this year, what's the Raptors center situation looking like, is it good enough in terms of depth? We'll get to all those in today's show and a whole bunch more. But first, just a reminder that we also have a ton of other shows covering the NBA on YouTube and on the Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On NBA, our national show on Wednesdays. You can go check out our pals John Corrales and Jake Madison, both past and future guests of this podcast, uh, as they run around the league every Wednesday on Locked On NBA. So go and check that out. All right, on today's show, we're going to dig into some mailbag questions. So let's begin now, shall we? The first question comes in from... 
It's Mike Christie. And let me just pull up the questions here on my fancy little graphic creator. And Mike Christie asks, how many games does Scotty Barnes start for the Raptors this season? Love talking Scotty Barnes. Uh, I'm always excited to hypothesize what things are going to look like with Scotty Barnes. I think it's probably fair to pencil him in for very few starts this season. I think he really only gets in if there's like a rash of injuries in the Raptors starting lineup. You know, I think we're pretty set in stone when you look at Fred Van Vliet's going to be there. Gary Trent Jr. or Goran Dragic is going to start at the two, I would guess. At the three, of course, OG. At the four, Pascal, once he's back and healthy. And then at the five, Kem Birch. The five is where things get interesting, and we'll get to that in a little bit here. That could be where maybe Barnes sneaks some starts that you didn't really expect. But I think for the most part, that starting five is going to be pretty safe. And I think there are going to be other guys who slot in in place of injured players in the event that injuries come along. You know, if... OG goes down, for example, or misses some time, you know, I think they'll probably, you know, maybe go with like a multiple guard setup and go Dragic, Trent, Van Vliet or something like that. You could start Barnes, but it gets tricky, right? Because he is going to be really dependent on everyone else to kind of set him up for offense. It's going to be a bit of a process there. And I think it's probably going to be a bit of an easing in process for Scotty Barnes this year. I don't think you can go and pencil him in for 50 starts or something like that, where he wins a job similar to, I guess, how OG Ananobi did in his first season. OG was very sort of prepared and ready to be like a legitimate role player on a very good team out of the gate because of his defense, because of his shooting. Barnes has the defense, obviously. The shooting Shooting's not quite there, so if he's not going to be on the ball a ton, I don't really know what the utility is of him playing with the starters a whole bunch. You know, he might close some games here and there, and we'll get to the center spot in a sec with another question coming up, but I do think it is wise to sort of temper your expectations with how much we're going to see Scotty Barnes in the starting five this season. So there's that. The next question here is kind of related to that a little bit, and it also comes from Mike Christie. And that question is, who starts for Pascal while he's injured? Look, I, I, it's still like unsure how many games Pascal Siakam is going to miss. It would be nice to get some clarity on what the plan's going to be there. Um, you know, I think most people are kind of penciling in mid-November, late November, maybe for his return, about a month of the season. It's hard to say. We haven't had any reports or anything like that. We'll probably get more clarity on it once we get closer to training camp and we'll be able to kind of assess and get some actual sort of daily reporting on the situation. But right now, yeah, it seems like it's going to be about a month. And as far as who replaces him, it's tricky, right? Like you don't want to decimate your bench too much. You don't want to sort of imbalance your units too much. But, you know, I think Chris Boucher is probably the answer. Yes, he's going to sort of take away some of that production that he brings on the bench. And usually he's a little bit better playing against second units as well. But I think if you throw him into the starting five, next to Ananobi, you've got uh, Kem Birch likely starting at the five. That's a totally fine pairing. If you think back to last season, some of the best moments of Chris Boucher's season came when he was playing at the four next to Aaron Baines. I mean, there was a stretch there when the Raptors were on their run before COVID hit and they had their season fall off the rails where they looked really good. They were playing small and they were playing that big combo off the bench. If you start with Boucher next to Birch, I think you have nice spacing. You have a guy who can finish plays for you, which is going to be the biggest thing you're losing with Pascal Siakam. This is already a team that's going to struggle on offense. If you take out a Siakam and sub in a Scotty Barnes, for example, you're not really getting any replacement of that production that Siakam is going to give you. Boucher is going to be a little bit more volatile, probably, than Siakam. He doesn't give you the same playmaking by any means. And you're going to be putting a lot of playmaking burden onto Gary Trent. Uh, you know, obviously, Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi as well. 
I actually wonder if you're going to start Boucher, maybe do you start Drogic as well in place of Gary Trent, just to give a little bit of extra ball handling in that starting five, because you're really putting it all on Fred Van Vliet and Ananobi, because assuming you're going to scale up his usage this year, that's going to be tricky. So I would say the starting five could kind of look like Fred, Drogic, Ananobi, Boucher, Birch. I think that's kind of the best orientation there. I doubt we'll see Dragic start from day one, just because Trent, obviously, he's been invested in by the team. We don't even know how long Dragic is going to be around. So that's a bit of a complicating factor there. But if you're looking just to sort of maximize that lineup, I don't mind the idea of Dragic coming in and playing with Boucher in a starting five, replacing Pascal Siakam. They both kind of, in a way, replace things you're missing with Siakam, the playmaking on Dragic's end, the play finishing on Boucher's end. But either way, I think Boucher Boucher is going to probably fill in that spot. I think we're going to see a lot of weird deployments of Chris Boucher this season, and I'm excited to see how it all works together. You know, other candidates to fill in for Boucher, if he doesn't start, if they want to keep him coming off the bench, I mean, you could go with like a multi-guard lineup. You could go Fred, Dragic, Trent, Ananobi at the four with Birch. That's maybe a little bit light on wing defense. You kind of might get torched between Dragic and Trent, and that's putting a lot of onus on Ananobi and Birch to kind of hang back and protect at the rim. You know, there's only so much you can do when your best defender is a six-foot point guard, and if you're flanking him with two guys who are subpar defenders, then that's going to be tricky. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think we'll really see that with a three-guard lineup, even if that's an option. Um, you know, I guess you could see, like, Yuta Watanabe come in. If they want to do that thing where they kind of keep the bench unit the way they want it to, you kind of bring in the guy who's just behind that second unit, bump them up, and then nobody else's roles are really changing. I guess you could do that. I think that leaves you a little bit light on offense as well. If there was another sort of playmaking, ball, like ball-handling type player in there, I might be able to get on board with it. I, I could actually see, like, Utah starting in place of Ananobi, for example. If OG were to go down, you have Siakam in the lineup in this hypothetical scenario. Maybe you throw Utah in there for his catch-and-shoot ability and his defense on the wings to replace Ananobi. But for now, in terms of Pascal Siakam replacements, I think it's going to be Chris Boucher. And uh, he's probably going to get a lot of shots. That's just the, the way the Raptors' lineups are going to be set. Basically, anytime he's in the game, there's going to be high usage for Chris Boucher, which can be a great thing. It can be a terrifying thing. Either way, it's a fun thing and an entertaining thing to watch over the course of an 82-game season. We got more questions to get to here coming up in just a second, but before we do that, we'll get into questions about the center position and the over-unders in Vegas and everything like that. Uh, we'll get to that very shortly, but first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Sweatblock, and I've talked about Sweatblock for a couple weeks now. I've been a customer of Sweatblock for a couple weeks now, and i got to tell you, Sweatblock rocks, and they are keeping my shirts drier than ever before. They have a dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. And what is Sweatblock, you ask? Well, it's been out, out and around for for 10 years on Amazon, uh, selling over 13,000 reviews, manufactured right in the USA, and they specialize in Sweatblock antiperspirant wipes. That's right, wipes, baby! Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You can apply at night before you go to bed, and then the next morning you wake up, wash, go about your day without worrying about sweat, guaranteed. I know it sounds too good to be true, and I've tried everything from all of the most intense clinical deodorants that look like uh, aluminum and are terrifying to look at, 
Sweat block is nice. It, it's, it smells good and all that stuff as well. I highly recommend it. It is really working for me. If you or someone you love deals with excessive sweating, look, it's uncomfortable, but everyone deals with it, or a lot of people do, you have to check out Sweat Block. Get it today at for 20% off at sweatblock.com. And uh, you can also go to Amazon or CBS. But if you go to sweatblock.com, use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you're going to get 20% off your order. That is a wonderful deal. Go try Sweat Block, baby. Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at Direct TV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that's letting you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone. You've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. It's insane. It's ridiculous. You shouldn't be using your parents' login for, you know, Netflix or whatever it is these days. You're an adult. It's okay to be an adult and have your own accounts. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way is to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings you your live TV on and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place no more juggling between remotes and devices you don't have to buy another device ever again and the best part there's no annual contract so get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your tv together with direct tv stream you can learn more at directtv.com that's directtv.com compatible device required contents vary by package all right, let's continue on here with the mailbag questions that came in from the lovely listeners uh this one comes from Let's go. I, uh, Eggy Craig, he asks, Vegas has set the Raptors wins over under at 36.5. Fair number. Will they go over or under? Uh, I think it's probably a fair number. Look, the Raptors have a long-standing grand tradition of overshooting their over-unders in Vegas. And, it, you know, I think last year was the first year they went under since, like, before the Dwayne Casey era. So I'm probably inclined to lean thinking they're going to go over, but I get why it's 36 and a half. They only won 27 games last season. Yes, COVID was there and it, it should be baked in. And, and I think most people have realized last season was kind of a write-off and it's not going to be like that every year for the Raptors, even if they don't reach the heights that they did during the Kyle DeMar or the Kyle Kawhi era where they were winning 50 plus games every year. I still think there's a good team here. It's just, I understand the skepticism from Vegas. The Eastern Conference is really good comparatively to what it's been in the past. Lots of teams that are loading up. Only a couple teams you can really look at is saying, okay, they're like for sure going to be terrible. It's like the magic and it's kind of it. Maybe the Pacers are going to take a step back. I'm not sure, but there's going to be competition for those playoff spots and competition for wins. And I think you could see a lot of these teams kind of floating in that mid thirties to low forties range. As, and it's just kind of going to come down to luck and internal development and overshooting expectations to determine who gets those playoff spots and play-in spots. I think 36 and a half is fair. I think the Raptors are very much going to be in the play-in mix between seven and 10. I'd kind of peg that as their most likely range of outcomes and, you know, we'll see how things transpire and how the return of Pascal Siakam goes and how the development of Malachi Flynn and these guys who you're going to need to really develop in order to sort of overshoot expectations go. But I think 36 and a half is kind of the right number. We'll also do a more sort of deep dive on over-unders, in particular the win over-under, in our annual over-unders episode with uh, Vivek Jacob and Sahal Abdi closer to the start of the season. One of my favorite annual episodes. If you've not experienced it before, if you're new to the show, it's a blast. You should mark it on your calendar. Usually the week before the season, we'll get together with a big, fat over under spectacular over the course of two days. Um, but, you know, 
my inkling right now, 36 and a half is about right. I would probably take a slight over. Um, you know, I'm probably penciling them in for like 41 and 41, something like that. Maybe a little bit higher, depending on, you know, it'll sort of be fluid depending on how Siakam looks coming back from injury and all that stuff. But I, I think either way, this is the beauty of this season, is that they could be 41 and 41. And that is still like a, cl- a slight overshooting of expectations. And that's a nice thing. The thing that I often try to remind people of is whenever you go into a season with low expectations, you're probably in line to have a pretty delightful watching experience. Even if they're not going to win a title, that's okay because they might win 43 games when no one expected it, make the playoffs and give a team some trouble in the first round. And if you're thinking about how to sort of frame the season in your mind, I think Bobby Webster pointed this out really well when he was speaking a few weeks ago when he referred to the 2013-14 season as kind of the corollary for this season. It's kind of a let's see what we got here season. And I think there's a good chance that, you know, the Raptors see that they've got a lot. (laughs) And it all comes together in a pretty nice, harmonious way. Again, they're not winning a title this season. I think that's, uh, you know, a bridge too far. I don't even know if you can pencil them in to be a top six team in the Eastern Conference, considering the talents out there between the Bucks and the Sixers, although the Sixers are in kind of dire straits right now. We'll see what happens there. Uh, The Nets, you've got the Celtics, who who, yes, we love to hate the Celtics, but they're undeniably talented and should be better than they have been. Um, you know, you throw in the Bulls, who I am extremely delighted to watch this season. They're going to be super bizarre. They're not going to defend. They're going to flame out hilariously in the playoffs, probably, but they're going to be super fun to watch in the regular season. Probably pick up a ton of wins just because that offense is going to be so damn good. Miami's, of course, got Kyle Lowry. It's a really, really good Eastern Conference this season compared to what we've seen in years past, but I still think that 7-10 to 10 range, that 36-45 to 45 kind of win range is where the outcome is going to be here for the Raptors, and a lot of the th- sort of determining factors we're going to see pretty early on, I think. We'll see, okay, is Malachi Flynn adjusted to NBA speed? Is he shooting at a level that's going to make him a viable backup point guard who can run the offense? Does Goran Dragic look like he wants to be here, and is he going to actually try? Um, You know, Gary Tran Jr., is there any extra shake to his game, or is it the same kind of, you know, catch and not pass kind of uh, operation with him? We'll see those things early on, I think, and then the Siakam injury is obviously a huge determining factor. If Siakam comes back, he looks great. That changes the, you know, the ceiling on the wins pretty significantly. If he doesn't, then it's going to be kind of a slog because he is their best player, as much as you might not want to admit it or whatever, or still kind of hold on to the bubble as some sort of mark on his resume. He's the best player on the Raptors, and if he's not right, then that's obviously going to very seriously affect the win total. And the nice thing is, if they go under and they finish with 30 wins, guess what? There's another high pick to add to the coffers next season, which is kind of fun. Let's continue on here. Get another question in, uh, this one comes from our pal Freddie Revis, who is a past and future guest of the show. Go listen to his podcast, The Confederacy of Dunks. I'm on that one once in a while. Uh, Freddie asks, do the Raptors need a traditional center, or is that more of a specialist position these days? I think you could say Kem Birch is a traditional center. You know, yes, he's not six foot eleven or seven foot two or whatever, but he's like a good 6'9", 6'10", and he's built like a truck like he's an enormous dude he's super strong I think you can get by with him and Precious Achua as your centers and then Chris Boucher is going to mix in as well this is a point I've made before and I'll make it again because I think there's kind of a new audience uh, with YouTube and stuff so I'm, I'm not afraid to repeat myself from things I've said earlier in the year but I don't think last season where things went so poorly with the center position is some sort of you know, indicator that the Raptors have completely botched their approach to the center position. I actually think they kind of approached it correctly last year. They just picked the wrong guy in Aaron Baines, and Aaron Baines was in a tough situation, and I feel bad for the guy, but it just was the wrong fit. I think with a Ken Birch, 
Pat, the Precious Achua, Chris Boucher rotation kind of taking up those minutes at the five, I think you're totally fine. You know, the reason the Raptors fell off last year was not because their center position was a tire fire. In fact, when they kind of abandoned the idea of centers and then moved towards playing small ball, that's when they played their best basketball of the season. That's when they were beating the Sixers and the Bucks and a lot of really good teams in a really short amount of time, playing small and leaning into what their strengths were and just kind of relying on Aaron Baines to give 12 minutes off the bench. You know, throw him in as a guy with six fouls to give against a guy like Joel Embiid, for example. I think that was the right strategy. The team got derailed because its three best players got COVID, and the team was in complete disarray for an entire month of March, where they go 1-13 in or whatever it was. I, I don't think you can look at the center position and say this is where the season fell apart. Did it help matters that Aaron Baines was as unplayable as he was for most of the year? No, obviously not, but I think the approach was right. And I think it's right again this season. And it's not like the Raptors are going into this year thinking of playing small ball with super small players. I mean, you had Norm Powell playing the three at times last season at six foot four. That's not going to be the case. The small ball lineups this year are going to be long and rangy and very good defensively. You're going to have OG and Pascal at the four and five, at uh, the three and four. You're going to have Scotty Barnes probably mixing at the five, Chris Boucher mixing at the five, whatever it's going to be. Precious Achua, I guess you could consider a small ball option at six eight, six nine. But those are going to be longer. They're going to have more, you know, ability to rebound and stuff like that. I'm not too concerned about there being a lack of a traditional center on the team. You're not running stuff for a traditional center. You're looking for a guy who can, you know, operate like a, like a center in terms of, you know, setting screens, working on the short roll. And I think Ken Birch can do that. I think Precious Achua has shown that he can be uh, sort of a, a high wire sort of lob target, that type of guy so far, at least in summer league. And, you know, just kind of athletically speaking, he really seems to fit that bill. And then Chris Boucher is like, your pick and pop thread. He kind of fills that Serge Ibaka role of a dude who's never going to pass and is always going to be willing to finish off possessions, which you kind of need sometimes. So no, I, I'm not too concerned about the lack of like a traditional, you know, beef horse of a center. Uh, you know, you can go out and try to find one if you want. Maybe you replace Freddie Gillespie with someone a little bit more traditional, but I don't think that guy's going to play very much. You know, I think the top 10 or so in the rotation have kind of been set already, and you're just kind of getting that guy as maybe like a backup to fill in. If you're playing Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic and you need someone with some extra fouls to spare, that's kind of the only way I'd see them needing it. So, um, you know, Vision six foot nine is very much on. I think it applies to the center position, and I think it'd be an overcorrection to think, oh, Aaron Baines was bad last season. We must invest everything in the center position, and this is why I was okay with like no Rashawn Holmes, for example. It would have been nice to get Rashawn Holmes, but I also understand why they didn't want to invest that money in a position that the Raptors front office very clearly feels is replaceable, sort of malleable, and can be filled in by guys who are less than six foot 11 feet tall. Um, so that's my kind of read there. Couple more questions to come on the other side. Before we get to those, I just want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars money can buy. At some point here, I'm going to eat a Built Bar on the ad read on YouTube for some reason, for stunt purposes. I don't know. But guess what? I'm going to enjoy it because Built Bars rock. They have a nine amazing flavors for you cherry bars, see a raspberry mint brownie, which is my favorite, cookies and cream. Orange is very good as well. Tastes like a Terry, Terry's chocolate orange, except it's not bad for you. It's actually good for you. It has 
lots of good stuff to help you power through your day, I highly recommend you check out a mix box. For example, you can get two of each of their nine flavors, mix them together, figure out which of the ones you like the most, and then order yourself a whole crate or something like that after you've decided which one you like the most. Not only are Built Bar flavors the greatest tasting protein bars there are, but they're good for you too. Of course, they've got the 17 to 18 grams of protein as an average in all their bars. Calories ranging from just 130 to 180, so it's much less than a traditional candy bar. Only four to five grams of sugar, four to five grams of net carbs, and amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. They also have special flavors that appear sometimes on the site, like grasshopper cookie and birthday cake and stuff like that. So be sure to check out the site and peruse to see if you can get those limited time flavors when they pop up. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get 15% off of your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Today's show is also brought to you by betonline.ag. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back in the gridiron to start the season. I had my fantasy football draft last night. It's a terrible team. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to lose so, so bad, but guess what? You can win at betonline.ag. It's the number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds and props and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50%, sorry, excuse me, a 100% welcome bonus. That is an increase from the usual read. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Uh, make a bet on this Thursday, September 9th season opener. That's next week. That's very close between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to 25 bucks for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite casino games don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season and use the promo code locked on to get yourself that 100 welcome bonus at betonline.ag your online sports book experts all right just before we get to the last bit of mailbag questions here just a reminder tomorrow's podcast i'll be joined by katie hindo we're just going to talk about vision six foot nine a little bit and talk about how excited we are to watch this bizarro basketball team in the coming year so that will be a good time uh, this next question here, I had to reword this because it didn't quite fit with the character limits here on the show, uh, but this one comes from at Guided by Brody, and I rephrased the question just to fit in here. Um, when and how will the Raptors address their offensive concerns? Obviously, I think it's their biggest weakness. Brody pointed that out in his question as well. Uh, do they hope for internal development from guys like OG, Siakam, etc., or do they look for outside help? This is an interesting one. I think this season is going to kind of determine what the timeline is here, right? Because you'll be able to see, does OG Ananobi have that sort of next gear? Can he become a number one sort of central force in an offense? If he can, then you probably don't look at an outside hire quite as closely. And maybe you kind of reserve your trade chips and, you know, you just kind of wait and, and hang out. Maybe you can build some sort of super team down the line if OG becomes a number one option. I think it's probably unfair to expect OG to become a number one option as much as his wonderful back part of last season was exciting and thrilling. And before he got derailed by COVID and everything like that, he was looking like he was kind of turning the corner. He was averaging like 18 a game, five boards, three assists, crazy shooting splits. Like if he can scale that efficiency up just a little bit and become like a high usage scorer, you're in business, man. And I think that is sort of the most key development of this season that could potentially happen because that changes everything. If OG becomes the kind of guy you're building a team around all of a sudden, then you're less forced to go out and try to pursue that superstar trade. And you can use your assets for other stuff, filling in the margins, you know, slight upgrades here and there. 
whatever it might be, or you just hang on to them and you continue to build that sort of shadow core with extra picks and things like that. So that is uh, an interesting one. You know, if OG doesn't perform well this season or doesn't show that he can be anything more than like a number two or a number three, which if that's the case, that's still totally fine. He's the 23rd overall pick. If he's the number two player on a very good team and he pushes Pascal Siakam down in responsibility a little bit, that's a wonderful outcome. And then I think that probably means you're looking for someone to complement those two guys. And then everyone else is kind of up for grabs, I think, when it comes to potential traits. Um, you know, it, it's going to be difficult. That's always hard to find a player outside the Kawhi Leonard situation was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of deal where a top-five player in the world was dis disgruntled with his team and everyone else was too terrified to trade for him because of the injury history and all that stuff. You can't expect another Kawhi trade to come along, but I do think there will be other opportunities to trade for stars, and that is kind of a timeline that's not really up to the Raptors. They can only handle their own internal development right now, and then maybe an opportunity strikes down the line where they can kind of add to what they already have. But, you know, again, I think this season is going to be all about figuring out what exactly is the core of Ananobi, Siakam, Van Vliet, and the rest. Like, is it a team that can be a top of these contender down the line? Is it a team that needs extra, you know, pieces and you kind of have the two, three, four in place, but you need that number one? Or if things go horribly awry, you're probably looking next summer at trading off some of these pieces and kind of restarting from scratch. There's a lot kind of like riding on this season. And... I think the timeline will be determined by what we see from a few specific guys. I mean, Gary Trent Jr. could also be kind of a guy you throw into here, a 22-year-old. You know, do we see, you know, some sort of increase in his ability to get to the rim? Or is he more of still like a three-point mid-range scorer without much in the way of playmaking or anything like that? That's a big development to watch for. Obviously, Scotty Barnes. If you see some flashes of star potential from Scotty Barnes, that changes things as well. But we don't really know yet. We have to see how it all comes together. This bizarro basketball team that I'm very excited to watch and see how it all comes together. How they perform this season will, I think, be the biggest determining factor of what the timeline is for kind of filling out this roster and then maximizing a future championship window. A couple more questions here before we get out of here. Uh, this one comes from Caleb Latre, uh, who asked, and excuse me, Caleb, if I butchered your last name there, but he asked, what's the 905 Raptor, Raptors 905 starting lineup going to look like this year? Look, I think we're going to see a lot of Delano Banton at the 905. I think that's number one. Banton and Johnson, David Johnson, feel like the two guys that you're really going to key in on with 905 development, and I am thrilled to watch them. I really, really can't wait. As far as other guys who might see some time down there, I mean, plenty of guys from the G League team will be there. You know, Justin Champagne's on the two-way deal. He's probably going to play a ton. I think you're probably going to want to see those three guys start and then maybe mix in some more sort of seasoned G League veterans. They'll always bring in new guys and stuff like that, guys to compete for camp, camp jobs and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure. Who will fill out those other spots? But the three guys you're watching this year are Delano Banton, David Johnson, and Justin Champagny. I, I think they're all pretty interesting in their own right. I think they all have some pretty interesting flaws that need to be worked on. And I'm really excited, actually, for Patrick Matumbo to get a full season to work with these guys. The G League season last year was so weird and, you know, just sort, sort of abrupt and also didn't really allow the proper runway for guys like Malachi Flynn to properly develop because Malachi Flynn had to be called up to the COVID-stricken Raptors in order to play a bunch. And so it was not the 905 season that you typically want. And I'm thinking back to a couple of years ago when things got shut down, 
you know, that Raptors 905 team from 2019-20 was really turning things around late in the season. And they were, you know, kind of finally congealing after a long season of kind of trying to figure out things, trading parts in. Justin Anderson was on the team, then swapped out for Henry Ellenson, who kind of brought things all together with a nice scoring big man who could space the floor. You know, it's going to be a process for sure. Uh, I think, though, there'll be a little bit more sort of clarity on what the main guys on this team are going to be from day one. And Banton, Johnson, and Champagny are the three guys I can't wait to look for because it's been a while since the Raptors had that sort of full complement of shadow core potential guys to develop at the 905. And it's nice to have that pipeline kind of restocked a little bit. Uh, and then the last question here, uh, this is an interesting one. I don't really have an answer to this one, but I do just want to take the opportunity to say some words. Uh, Paul Parko 3 asks, any in-skies scoop on Blake Murphy and Will Lou's free agency? Of course, Blake Murphy leaving the Athletic yesterday, Will Lou leaving Yahoo Sports a couple weeks ago. I have no idea, but I do want to say Blake Murphy, number one, he's the reason this all exists in a lot of ways. He is the reason there's such a robust Raptors coverage scene. He is the reason that everyone has to keep getting better because Blake Murphy is so freaking good at his job. It's sickening. It pains me. And it makes everybody have to be better. Otherwise, they're just looking for Blake's scraps. And he is... I think more than anybody else, single-handedly responsible for what Raptors internet is. Yes, there's lots of other factors here. The fact that it's always kind of been a secondary sport and online coverage was always going to be the way to get your stuff and get your fix. But Blake is not only just a wonderful dude, but he is so good at his job that he, and also just so generous with his time. And, you know, I remember when I was first coming up, he would jump on my dinky little podcast to talk when he's, you know, in the middle of draft season at the score. Extremely generous with his time, extremely thoughtful and empathetic and caring and just a wonderful human being all around. And I can't wait to see where Blake's going next. And uh, I don't know where it's going to be. It could be with a team for all I know, because he's that good and talented and some team would be smart to take him on. Um, but I can't wait. And then Will Lou you know, another sort of dude who goes back in the Raptors sort of online coverage circles. And I love Will Lou. We've done podcasts of this very episodes of this very podcast in my kitchen and things like that. Um, and I can't wait to see where Will's going either. Am I hoping for some sort of super team situation between Blake and Lou or Will Lou? Yes, of course I am. That would be a blast. Uh, but yeah, no updates for me. I'm sorry. I wish I could be the Woj. I've been prodding around. I can promise you I've been trying to figure things out, but it's been uh, tricky to nail down what those dudes are doing. And that's fair. It's their, uh, it's not my responsibility to tell them, tell people what they're doing on the podcast. And so I just wanted to take a, word, a second to say nice words about them. Um, lastly, I just want to also say uh, a couple of nice words about my editor at Raptors HQ, Daniel Reynolds, another past and future guest of this podcast, I'm sure. Um, you know, covered games with him, covering the Raptors for years, uh, six years now. Uh, you know, he was my sort of partner with HQ. We would cover games together, cover games solo, work together quite a bit editing the site and uh, love Reynolds. He's leaving Raptors HQ. Yesterday was his last day to go focus on Toronto traffic matters and everything, everything like that. Um, but I just wanted to say Daniel Reynolds is a reason that this exists as well. You know, he, you know, brought me on to HQ back like six years ago, seven years ago, uh, allowed me to write some weird and dumb blogs. And I've been writing the weird and dumb blogs under his tutelage ever since. And, uh, he's an inspiration. He's a really smart dude. Lots of creativity from that guy. Lots of wonderful sort of season-long story arcs that he worked on over the last few seasons. And uh, we love Daniel Reynolds. So, yes, I'm getting sappy to close out the podcast. I saved it for last for a reason. Uh, but love Blake, love Will, love Daniel Reynolds. And uh, I wish them all the best luck as Raptors media free agency heats the hell up in the uh, coming month here before training camp begins. 
That's going to do it for today's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. You can, of course, find me on Twitter, at WoodleySean. The handle is right there on the page. Subscribe to the YouTube page as well. It's much appreciated when you do that. It helps to, uh, you know, grow us and get us closer to monetization and all those wonderful things. So please uh, give us a hand there. You can tell a friend about the podcast, subscribe, rate, review. It's free wherever you get your podcasts. So please go and check it out. Uh, all right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you again on Thursday as Katie Heindel joins the show to talk about Vision Six Foot Nine. Uh, until then, maybe go listen to Locked On Blue Jays if you are an angry Blue Jays fan about the team pissing away wonderful games from their starting pitching lately. Highly recommend Locked On Blue Jays with AJ Andrews to give you the scoop on that truly infuriating baseball team that we all love and uh, very much tire emotions to too much. Am I just speaking for myself here? Maybe. Either way, thanks so much. We'll talk to you Thursday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.